Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk manganese as we continue our look at micronutrients. In our spotlight, we're going to talk about a new Kinsey planter that's headed to field soon. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about Henry Blair. And we'll wrap things up with some cool beans that's current, or that's corny, with some current events. With me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So did you... Roger spoke. Did you guys watch him on the McAfee show? We did. We did. Yeah, I thought he would say something like what he's going to do or anything. And he didn't really... He just came on to talk about with his buddy. That's I wonder if, um, like if, you, if you were watching how many people... Like the count of how many people were watching, because he came out right away and he said, "This is I'm not making a decision. I'm not going to tell you anything about it." Like if like the viewership just plunged after after he said that, or if people stayed to listen or not. Yeah, yeah. I saw a lot of people like, "Oh, we're not going to learn anything today." Um, I guess it's time to tune out. They're all like sitting waiting for the announcement. I think you're right, Todd. I think he just likes. Like McAfee and all those guys on that show, AJ wasn't there, but like I think he just like that's his crew, and he just likes to talk to them. No, and then he, you know, there was a girl laughing in the background. Yeah. So yeah, that was interesting too. But yeah, it was this. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing there. The way you talk, though, like... Yeah, who talks about their ex-girlfriend? Like right. That? It <laughs> was like, weird. It was... Like, either he wants her back, s- or they're not sp- split up, or... Yeah, it kind of gives you the impression it wasn't his idea, right? Oh, yeah. He I definitely mean, got yeah, dumb. Yeah. Like, it was... He's on the, the bad end of it, so... And then there was a girl laughing in the background that... And then he held up a mug that apparently Shailene held up in one of her, like, a tweet, like, three or four years ago. Oh, really? So they're saying that... It's the same tweet, that, the same mug? Yeah, that potentially it's her mug, which maybe she left her mug at his house or something. But yeah, it was quite the... Uh, <laughs> it was a, come get your crap. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the crazy part was, like, he dropped a bunch of, like, on Instagram the night before, like, a, a big paragraph of whatever, and then a bunch of these pictures... And one of the pictures was, it was Cobb and a space and Devante at the um, at the Chiefs game. Oh, okay. Because uh, they like national anthem; those three always stand next to one another. And the big thing was like, oh, does that mean he's retired because, or he's leaving because he's not in the picture? And basically, he said, which makes sense now. I think I believe him that they left the space. Because that was his COVID game he missed. Yeah, they left that space like in honor him. honor of him. Sure, and it was like he was grat- He was very had a lot of gratitude of because of that. And 
I wonder if he just he pushed that that Instagram stuff out because he was just you know it's just him. He's weird that way. Like oh, I'm gonna be all say all nice things about all these people. And well, most people I think when they get dumped, they get reminiscent. Yeah, and they go back like that's definitely these how guys. It was. Yeah. These guys love me. You know, we can read into it all we want. We don't know, but. Well, and the big thing was reading into it that next morning was like, is he quitting? Is he staying? It's like, probably had nothing to do with nothing. Right. Like, he was just sad because, like you said, Matt, he got dumped. And all of a sudden now he's trying to feel better about himself, probably. Yeah. Yeah, Aaron, if you're listening, Shailene may not want you, but we want you <laughs> back. The Packers need you back. Just. We're still in we'll, the Aaron Rodgers business. Yes, we will. <laughs> I think the way, like, if you read the tea leaves with with the quarterbacks, uh, what's his name? I can't think of Clemens coming back, back and yeah. they restructured Jones and they restructured uh, Kenny. Kenny Clark, yeah. Like, they're trying. What else do you trying. think they're doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. wait, they've said they want him back, and uh, it's just, it's the biggest problem because we're, we're in the football drought now. Like right. Season's over. Everyone just needs to make news. Like, because yep. I've seen a thing like he wants 50 million a year and all this stuff. And it's just like, you know what? Because Tom Brady's supposedly going to go to the Niners now. Like, that's, there's so many diff- different rumors. Like, <laughs> and none of it'll happen, right? Because right. they just need something to talk about. Even this with the Packers, I think them and Aaron Rodgers know already. Oh, I think they yeah. do. And oh, yeah. they know which way it's going. They're just, Oh yeah, waiting till the right time to announce it. Yeah, and I think the Packers right now they're kicking the can down the road, figuring that in three years or whatever that number is, the salary cap is going to be so much higher than it is right now, and we're going to be in the if Love is still around, or we're going to have a young, a different young quarterback. They're not going to be any good anyway. So go for it now, figuring that the cap will be higher and we're not going to well, be as look, good. That's kind of what they did. Yeah, they didn't go out and get a lot of guys, but they paid their own guys last year right. Right. and already did that. And now I think their rust ball is trying to run that back. And Can we try to do another last dance? Like, that one didn't work, but we were close, kind of. And well, yeah, it's, when you look at the last three seasons, really, it's not been – it's not like we can't get right. to the, end, right. of the, to the end, end of the race. We just can't cross the finish line. Yeah. Like, for different reasons. Right. You know, like, last year was – or. 2020 was some defense and then the offense failed this year it was the defense played out of their mind in that game like that's the whole thing that kind of disappoints me is how many years did we talk if Rodgers had a defense we'd be whatever well the defense played like awesome in that 49er game and yet the other two the other two legs of that that tripod of offense defense special teams let them down yeah, I mean, I guess we're probably due, right? I mean, <laughs> sure. They've we've had failures on all sides. Now, now we should be able to gel, right? Well, the, the Lions say they're due too. So. <laughs> hey, Stafford got it. <laughs> all he had to do was by, pro- by proxy the they won one, right? Is that like saying the Vikings won the Super Bowl because they got the Rams' offensive coordinator as their head coach? Sure, that that might be the closest the Vikings ever come to a Super Bowl is hiring the Rams. Yep. Okay, they've been there. They just never won. It's it's there. But no, I I don't know. It's like I said, it's the football drought. Everybody's just trying to grab headlines well, right now, and we'll, well see. What it's happens. almost March Madness. So yeah, it is. Did you, guys see, ready? did you see the melee at the yeah. Center last wow. Day? I 
Were you watching that game, Bill? I did the, not. We were busy doing other stuff. I was listening on the radio, which did not. The slap heard around the NCAA. <laughs> right, right. It just sounded like all of a sudden there's a fight in the handshake line. And you're like, what? Why? Yeah. And yeah, everybody obviously went back and watched the video. And that was, yeah. I. It was bad. And I think both sides played into it more than they should have. But the biggest takeaway seems to be all these guys saying they need to end the handshake line at the end of the game. That That's not the problem. No, that's not. Like if they're like, well, you, it's a forced sportsmanship. Well, if you're not, a, if you don't have sportsmanship, you shouldn't be playing. So suck it up. I mean, God, it's just not that hard. It really isn't. And these, these are college kids. Some of them might see the NBA, but you know, most of them aren't going to, they need to learn to put up with people. And, and what's too bad is suck a, it up. a lot of middle school kids like, yep watching that or any age younger kid in high school too and seeing you know what are they seeing then that you can disrespect somebody in the the line and that that isn't what no you should like you say they should be teaching the younger kids not acting like that right i mean football doesn't do a handshake line but but the head coaches shake head, at the head end. coaches shake and they you see guys swapping mull- jerseys yeah, like they all mull around after the game even right. in college they do that right so it's not like they're just Walking right to the, no. you know. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you get those moments of, like, team walks off the field or, you know, they get frustrated, and that's understandable, but it's still not reason enough, in my mind, to do away with sportsmanship, like, a sign of sportsmanship, in especially at the college level. Yeah. I well, mean, Bill, suck it up. Bill and I saw that, too, with COVID. They did it in some of those handshake lines, and you kind of... Stood on your sideline and waved. Yeah, or, or like and at the Little League level, you were tipping your cap, which, I, whatever. I, I mean, but it wasn't the same. No, and, absolutely and look at not. how many, you know, even through that, there were some other coaches that were like, hey, do you want a handshake? I'm like, sure. sure you know, and right. you kind of did it. And it would, the good and when part they about it, back, it was good. The good part about doing the handshake line versus what you were talking about, what I saw in the summer of 2020 is when we were doing that, right? Like, when you're doing the handshake line, everybody congregates on the baselines and then they come together. Whereas if you do the the tip of the hat, it seemed the cap, it seemed like half the team wasn't even like they're not even looking, they're not even paying attention. Half of them are walking back to the dugout, like they forgot their hat, so then they yeah, like, it was like, pretend to there tip was something. No organization or no like real sportsmanship to it. It's just like, oh hey, we gotta do this. Whereas like and I try and I do some coaching and I try to pick out a kid or two from the other team when I go through and say like, Oh, Hey, good job for this. Or maybe he's the first baseman and he, the opposing team, like congratulated one of my players for a good hit or whatever. And be like, Oh, Hey, good. That's nice of you to say that. Like, or you say to the coach, like, you know, in a tournament or whatever, good luck, you know, we lose, you win, like good luck going forward. I don't know. Just being nice to people is, lost right yeah we we need more of that in society not less, not less yeah right so i i don't know what krabenhoff said to he had to have said something because obviously it wasn't physical until krabenhoff came in <laughs> but for for howard to get pissed off about this timeout and it's like dude right the, really the, his howard's basis of why he was angry like, his whole reasoning just doesn't make sense. One, he's like, somebody touched him. Well, yeah, Greg Gard, like, grabbed his wrist or whatever. But that was 30 seconds before things got crazy. So it wasn't that that right. set him off. 
Honestly, no, he had many times to de-escalate that, right. and he just was oh, he grabbed guard's shirt man. like like you and do when he, you're gonna beat somebody up, and, and he waved his finger, in his yeah, face and, the, and yeah, the big finger wave, yeah, or, yeah, just and he's a foot taller than guard. <laughs> yeah. like, that's the whole funny <laughs> right. part about like, oh, you're afraid of guard, really? You played. I you wonder if that's what Krabbenhoff, you know, Krabbenhoff being a bigger played. Made, sure. You know, he probably was in some ways just kind of manning up for his guy. Yeah. And being like, hey, this Back is. Back off. Yeah. And, do, do we ever figure out who that guy was at the end who was oh, doing like the talk, 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 and then the suck it? No, yeah. no. Like some trainer or, right. <laughs> or something at the end there. It's like, oh, yeah, no, that's that's classy. Let's, let's fish it yeah, off it with for a, the Badgers, one of the Badgers traders. Yeah. That did, yeah. I think I think flat out he was just embarrassed he got his ass kicked. Yeah. I think no, flat I, that's all it was. They had some big recruits come in, they had a lot of transfers. Like his season was supposed to be they were picked number one. You know, and the Badgers were picked like tenth. And now it's excuse me, almost flipped, you know. So I think it was he was just flat embarrassed and just got the best of them. Yeah. All right. You guys ready to roll into our topic for today? Let's do it. All right, so let's talk some manganese. Got to almost say it that way because it gets very often confused with magnesium. That one N mm-hmm. yeah, in the beginning there. Yeah, kinda... when you say manganese, it's like, what? Which did you just say? Yeah, <laughs> don't say manganese. So, Bill, what do you got for us today? Yeah, um, just kind of going through our, our uh, list here of all the micros and secondary nutrients. So manganese is next up on the list. So manganese is um, kind of involved in enzyme sens- enzyme systems, so kind of working through enzymes. It also aids in chlorophyll s- synthesis. I tried to say that before, and I couldn't. Now I got <laughs> it. So which also obviously comes back to photosynthesis, uh, helps in phosphorus and calcium availability and, you know, helping with nitrogen. So nitrogen assimilation, helping with the gathering of nitrogen. So... Obviously, if we have some issues with manganese, it's going to affect a lot of other nutrients in in our plants. Um, manganese is a micro and immobile in the plant. So when you see a deficiency in manganese, most likely you're going to see it in the new leaves because the older leaves have the manganese in it and it's not able to push it to the to the newer leaves. So it's immobile in the plant. So you're going to see that symptoms in the newer leaves, the top part of the plant. And then in the soil, it's very mobile. So as we go forward, we're going to talk a little bit more about how do you fix things and how do you do it. And in the soil, it's very mobile. So you got to watch where you're placing it because uh, leaching is an issue. If you, It's good in the soil because you can move it, but at the same point, you have a better chance of actually losing it. Um, so again, um, as we've talked in the past weeks about micronutrients, Soil tests, it's a little bit... Um, this one's tied a little bit more to organic matter. Right, yeah. organic matter uh, dependent. Not so much the soil type itself, but just the amount of organic matter, which to some degree is, is one and the same, right? Um, lower, uh, sandier soil is going to have less organic matter, but dep- it doesn't really matter on the soil type. It's more on organic matter. So if it's less than... It's less than uh, um, 6% organic matter, which... I don't think a lot of us around here have many soils above 6%. No. Um, That optimum level on a soil test is 11 to 20. And then if you have more than 6%, it's more than less. It's 
um, more than half that, less, so six to seven. So you got you got a lot more availability in that higher organic matter soil, which again we don't. I don't even know if I have any fields that even are close to six percent that aren't pastures or something of that nature. Yeah, so you can pull it out of the ditch probably, <laughs> and be above six percent, but Fixed usually line. not not in the field around here. Yep. So that's kind of the soil test. I think a lot of us use. Um, Tissue testing more so. But the cool part about mang- manganese is it's actually in soybeans especially, it's the symptoms are really def- definite. Like you can see it right away. Like yeah, You can usually pick it up from the road. Yeah, like it's really easy to pick out is what I'm getting at. Yeah, the veins will be like a really, really deep green. Um, it almost looks like a decoration that what like your wife might have, or, or like a, a leaf of a tree in the fall. You know, yeah. yeah. Why are all deficiencies pretty? Like <laughs> yeah. They turn them nice colors, purple and red and <laughs> yellow. And okay, yeah. nitrogen I suppose is the ugliest one because just, just it makes it look yellow. But <laughs> yeah, and then the in, inner part of the leaf in between the veins is gets a real yellow. Almost I've seen it like a white or even a yeah, reddish. I've seen it white. Yeah, well, I've seen the white too. The yeah, white, yeah. yeah. So. What are some things that would make, what soils or what conditions would would you want to look for manganese deficiency? Um, and like we said, it can be, the higher the pH, the, the less it's available. So neutral to high pH soils, and especially if they're high in organic matter, high organic soils, you kind of got the double whammy there. Um, which for us in eastern Wisconsin, these redder soils that we have could be more prone um, and then I've seen it too in low lying areas, and a lot of times lower, low, not lower, lower soils, lower lying areas can be more organic or mucky soils, and that can be another spot. Like there's a couple fields that I scout on, and it's like every year I tell the scouts, watch for manganese deficiency because it seems to always pop up in this part of the field because it's just a low, low mucky, mucky area. Um, one interesting note I found was that soybeans and oats seem to be the most sensitive to manganese. So if you have soybeans grown on high pH, watch for that. And then oats, actually, too, not that there's a lot of oat acres grown in the in the country here, um, but watch that on your oat acres as well. Yeah, I would say 90% of the manganese deficiency I've seen in my lifetime is soybeans. Soybeans, yeah. yeah. It's odd that oats would, what do you do on right. oats? Like, is there a foliar feed, like yeah, soybeans? Or I would, I would, I would imagine, know. yeah. I'm sure manure helps. Right, and maybe that's why most of our oats are grown in dairy rotations, so maybe it's not that big of a deal. Oats in general, I think, is just susceptible to a lot of things, like a lot of things, it seems. Like, there's a, a lot of the diseases and stuff that are more common in oats that we don't see necessarily as much in other small grains, so. I'd be curious, too, like, totally unrelated to this but related to small grains is like with this whole thing with ukraine and russia going on like ukraine they produce a lot of wheat yeah like if that's going to put pressure on the wheat our farmers to do some things with different with small grains anyway totally off subject there but uh, and again like todd like you were saying and like we talked about with the mobility chart of it is the yellowing is going to be between the veins in the younger leaves so the more top of the canopy and it's definite like that that vein is green and everything else is not and it's like you said it starts out yellow and if it gets bad enough it le- legitimately looks like a clisto injury that whiteness of what 
that coastal herbicide will do. Well, how do we fix it? Um, because we talked before about mobility, um, it seems as though foliar feeds is the best way to do it. Uh, broadcasting of fertilizer is not recommended um, because of rapid fixation and movement in the soil, so that's a problem. Um, if you're going to band it, they recommend chelated manganese uh, fertilizer. Uh, those are actually not recommended because of the higher cost. Um, so your chelate would kind of help keep it available. It would, but the they're soil. but they're highly cost. So right. from a cost standpoint, they may not be the best. Um, a lot of the papers I read in preparation for today was actually using magnesium sulfate. Um, no. Which one? Man, man. man. <laughs> yeah, I did it. There, I there it. it is. There it is. We, we, we need. We need like a bell, yeah, like, like a, a ding, ding, ding. You did it. Manganese sulfate is a better title. <laughs> yeah. It's like calling Miller Park Miller Park. Yeah, right? yeah. we're just going to keep doing it's it. It's going to happen. Yeah. So applied that in a band. So the best is two by two if you're going to do something like that. Um, but above the manganese sulfate, then would be your foliar application. A uh, couple pounds to the acre or so is usually most effective. Um, and then it, what, what I've seen a couple of papers was do a one pound. When you see the deficiency, take a tissue sample, and if it's still deficient, then give it another pound 10-ish ten, days later so you can kind of double it up. Um, they really are recommending against adding it to glyphosate and i know that's easy we've talked about it we've done it over the years like oh we're just just tank mix it yeah. tank mix it we're going across but piggyback yeah it's actually not super recommended to add, it's, add it, it seems like that you know we the research is kind of hard to tell on this but that the glyphosate does sort of tie it up yeah so obviously by putting it together you you may be not doing as much good as you would have what I've seen works best, but you spray the Roundup and like 10 days later you come back right. with the manganese application and any other foliar feeds you have. Um, and a lot of times that'll kind of line up with flowering too, which will be yep. helpful. So th that could be something, you know, in soybeans, obviously in the one crop that we really see this a lot is if you can time that out with flowering, obviously you're, you hopefully hold more flowers and you'll have better pod set. If it has to, has to, has to happen where you have no other options of if we're going to do it, it's going to go in with the glyphosate. Like, that's just, it's non-negotiable. Um, use an EDTA chelated version of manganese and then make sure your mixing order in your sprayer is water, ammonia sulfate, glyphosate, then the manganese. Um, obviously, you're getting that glyphosate in before, so it's working with the ammonia sulfate to make sure that if you do it the other way, you know, like you said, you're Todd, you're going to deactivate it, it before. So I'm, I'm also going to guess, based on that that recommendation, that I wouldn't mix it the night before and let it sit either. Uh, Probably not. That should be something you're doing when yeah, you're applying, right. not like, ah, I'm going to get ahead for for tomorrow, you know, do the other things, and then add that right before you spray. Probably would be your best bet to have that interaction be the least amount of time possible. I would say this year, going into the year, because Roundup, has been so short it's kind of on and off with that we'll see what how much we can get and obviously the price is higher but having that we're probably going to spray spray the least amount of roundup 
at flowering on beans than we've had in a long time. Right. Yeah. Yep. So that'll be an interesting thing just to watch. Is there, are we going to have less manganese deficiencies because we're doing some where it's uh, an enlist with with select kind of spray? So is that going to change if you don't kind of have the Roundup in there? We're not. We're going to do less Roundup sprays because of the price. So will that change? what we see out there on some of these soils, it, it might, and that, that's a good thing. But like you said, Bill, make sure if you, you know, you're, you're always almost better off just waiting the seven to 10 days, doing that se- sequential application, you know, versus trying to throw it in together. So I think the good news with manganese deficiency, if there's any good news is that if you have it, it's probably going to be in the same spot in the field. And you're going to know, like you're going to know where to look in your fields. Right. Where nitrogen, obviously... <laughs> Could happen anywhere in any part of the field, I think depending on weather, right? All these other nutrients we've talked about till now, this one is very, you, you know the areas of right. mucky soils yep. and where you've had it before. and um, This one's usually more of a known problem, and, and we know how to fix it. So it's, it's a good one that way where it doesn't have to be a mystery behind it. Seems, like you said, that easy to find, easy to fix, if that makes any sense. All right, so there you go, that's manganese and what to look for in your plants and if you need to do something about it best option is either the foliar feed or manganese sulfate as an option if you put magnesium sulfate on well you're gonna be trying to fix a different problem so there we go now we'll move into our spotlight for today So today we're looking at the Kinsey new planter they're bringing to market. So the Kinsey 3505 True Speed High Speed Planter with available planting speeds of up to 12 miles an hour is coming for the 2023 season. 12. That's a... Yep. John Deere hit the we, 10. We hit 10, 10, now we're at 12. Yeah, we're yep. going pushing the limits So who's next? Yeah, White, yeah, like, White's going to hit a 15. Right, or? like what's the speed we're, tra- you know... Where does it get too fast? For next week, we should, whatever happened to the, remember Fent was on Fent that was one planter with like a, where it would roll with the hills and stuff. Yeah. I don't mean, maybe they'll hit the, the next high speed mark because they've, they've got that, you know, the wave thing going. But yeah, so the 3505 is a pivot fold planter. It'll be simple to operate, offering uh, eight or six 30 inch rows. So that's what blew me with right. blew me away with this is the size they went is like they're going faster and smaller. smaller. Like that's the yeah. that's the idea behind it. And even seeing the picture of it, it's kind of neat looking because it's you know like a little eight row planter with center fill bulk on it. Yep, which you don't see very often. Well, and they do say their regular thirty five oh five is a popular option for smaller growers with thousand acres or less. So now you can have you can plant like you have a sixteen row planter. Because you're going twice as fast with the the eight rows. I just wonder, like, if this is marketed towards smaller fields, like, can you really get up to the twelve miles an hour by the time <laughs> right. you, you hit the other around? side and you gotta? <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's probably better on a longer field than a short field. But the other thing yeah. I, I wonder is weight distribution. Sure. Of like, you got say a twelve row or sixteen row to to kind of carry out that weight over some of that. I know the, these planters are made differently now that it, that's not exactly how that works, but just, you know, seeing these two bulk center fills on an, on an eight roll, 
Yeah, I just wonder how it'll carry that weight differently if it's, yeah. you know, and maybe you just wouldn't fill it as full at times. Or if Well, it does sound like it's, you know, going to have all the bells and whistles. It'll have the, the electric drive, obviously, because it can go fast. Right. We're not, we're, we can't do that with, with that other, way, <laughs> other right. ways. Um, but it's also going to have the true depth hydraulic downforce sure, so on it, so it'll have some control for that. Um, and like I said, bulk fill, and it's going to be able to plant corn, soybeans, sweet corn, cotton, sunflowers, milo, and sorghum, edible beans, sugar beets, and wheat. Well, the good news, though, is you probably don't need a gigantic tractor to pull it neither, so right. that it's going to be less weight. Yeah. Right. Right. So I just pulled I, up, Matt. It's the Momentum was the, the Fent well, tractor. That was the Fent one, yep. And on their website, they're saying up to 10 miles an hour. So they're they're not going to twelve. They're sticking with the John Deere. Not yet. Not yet. Right. The the gauntlet has been thrown now. Twelve twelve is the new benchmark. So we get a couple of years. We'll be we'll be up to fifteen. You wonder what speed like the closing discs or like the trash whippers just become like high speed tillage tools almost yeah. like where it's sort of too like just too what, aggressive. What that'll change at like fifteen? Yeah, there's a huge difference from going six mile an hour to fifteen. Like. Yeah, yeah, like you feel like you're giving her at that point. So, yeah, what what's the yeah? Like we said, where 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 do we want to go next? You're gonna find all the bumps in the field, yeah, and rocks, and rocks. Yep. So yeah, kind of kind of a neat thing. We're making advances. We'll see how that pans out. True Speed Planters set to be available for order in April, and we'll ship out early 2023. Now we'll move into our Ag History Minute for today. Gotta love that banjo. All right, Henry Blair is who we're talking about today in our Ag History Minute. Henry Blair was an inventor and farmer best known as the second African-American to hold a United States patent. So who was Henry Blair? He was born in Glen Ross, Maryland in 1807, Blair was an African-American farmer who patented two devices designed to help boost agricultural productivity. In doing so, he became the second African-American to receive a United States patent. Blair died in 1860. As a successful farmer, Blair patented his inventions. His first patent was a corn planter. He filed that patent on October 14, 1834. Planter resembled a wheelbarrow with a compartment to hold seed and rakes dragging behind to cover them. This device enabled farmers to plant their crops more efficiently and enabled a greater total yield. Blair signed the patent with an X, indicating that he was illiterate. Blair obtained his second patent for a cotton planter on August 31st, 1836, just two years later. This invention functioned by splitting the ground with two shovel-like blades that were pulled along by a horse or other draft animal. A wheel-driven cylinder between the blades deposited seed into the freshly plowed ground. The design helped promote weed control while distributing weed, uh, seeds quickly and evenly. So there's your double disc opener. It, it really was. Looking at some of the drawings, it, yeah. it's pretty it legitimately yeah. looked like like a crude. And your first central fill planter, like a wheelbarrow. Right. <laughs> right, you just fill the hopper and go. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. It's pretty neat that that technology was there 200 years ago. Yeah. So. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks to all our listeners out there. Please subscribe and to the podcast and tell a farmer friend to 
download our podcast on your Apple device, so on your iPhone, you go to Apple Podcasts, and on an Android, we like three apps, Podcast Addict, Podbean, and Player FM, and you'll just search Tilt Talk Radio and then hit the subscribe button. And you can also listen on your computer or smartphone browser. You go to tiltegg.com slash podcast. We're also available now on Amazon Music, so there's a way to go there, and then you can have your smart speaker play as well. So lots of listening options. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilt Talk Radio. Thanks, Todd. All right, now we'll wrap things up with our cool beans. That's corny for this week, so cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. All right, our cool beans this week. Bear is putting out some short stature corn headed for commercial trials in 2023. So I know I've had a couple farms ask about this, especially in the grain markets. So Bob Ryder, head of research and development for Bear, says the company's short stature corn is headed for commercial trials next year, 2023, and he calls it a game changer. More standability and more standability translates into more yield potential for the farmer. So direct impact of the standability of the crop for the farmer. He really likes standability is what I'm getting from that quote. He only said it three times. Uh, He says it'll be part of a larger system, help farmers optimize inputs. Um, So he he sees it as potential to change fertility practices, crop protection practices, and growing practices in terms of plant density and how ultimately the farm can sequester carbon on those same acres. So, I mean, when you look at going across with equipment, if you're going to try to do things with late with a high boy, so wide drop and all that, you're going to have more clearance above the top of the plants. Is I think what he's kind of getting at there. And they're touting one third shorter than a standard hybrid. So obviously not silage corn, but so like six foot corn. Yeah, like one third. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah, I suppose if it's nine foot, it's going to be. Yeah, it's right around there. Or eight foot, and it's five. Like we'll be actually be able to see over the top. Of the, the corn farm. when we're standing in it, yeah. maybe, on some of these hybrids. I so I won't. You won't, What are you, like three feet? <laughs> I'm not six. <laughs> no, but if it's five foot, like if suppose, it's normally yes. eight and goes down to five, then it would be... Okay, you can jump up on your toes and yes. peek over the top. That's why we have drones, Bill. Sweet. All right, so in 2023, 150 early adopter growers will be able to try out the product through their groundbreakers trials. Ahead of the commercial launch, which is expected 2024. So pretty cool. Now that's corny this week. Herbicide options are dwindling for weed control in soybeans. So as we move into the season, you know, we've had issues with dicamba, glyphosate availability, and price has been a big thing. So really getting down there as far as what we can do with our soybeans. Uh, so the force majeure that was announced on branded glyphosate last week is part of the reasoning behind this expectation. So essentially meaning that the companies don't have to honor their contracts necessarily because of some ingredient issues that have been seen. So um, I had a co-op guy I was talking to about this, and he's like, yeah, that... The coup de gras thing that the happened. The coup de gras, yes. And I'm like, what? I'm like, you mean the force majeure? Yeah, that that thing. The, <laughs> the French, thing, which I've never heard of force majeure until now again. So we get another new term. And we've like, got it like three times in the last week. Right. So. <laughs> right. They just keep saying, like, yes. Uh, so now clethodem is expected also to be 
hard to get a hold of. So clethidim, of course, being the grass herbicide option that we use to kill volunteer corn and other things in soybeans. So we kind of thought this was coming of like Roundup was short, so you knew you're going to kind of switch enough. But I do know some of the industries like ah, we'll have enough clethidim, don't worry. And then it was like, holy man, I you know I don't think they realize how much people would substitute and what that would change on these other ones. So like we kind of knew you know glyphosate and Roundup was the first domino to fall and. What they knock next, you know, be interesting, and what will happen after this one too will be interesting. It doesn't help. Liberty is like non-existent too. Yeah, those are the right. first two. Is yeah. Roundup Liberty. Yeah, and then the other ones now are like Dual and Outlook for your residual side are getting really tight as well. So, it it's kind of creating this. In a way, I guess we are lucky. We have as much enlist genetics and enlist beans out there, right? Um, or we would, where we be a lot worse shape so i mean it, it, it's going to come down to scouting to be important make sure you're doing the most with the herbicide passes you do have to hopefully account for potential of not being able to make additional passes as a rescue option so that'll do it for this week thanks for being here guys thanks for having yeah, us thanks matt, matt. What do you, what's the, so if we have a force majeure, do you have to carpe diem? Uh, I believe, words? yes, I, I believe that would work, yes. in the same languages or not? Well, carpe diem's Latin. Okay. Uh, force majeure, I don't know that I is specific. It's probably based in Latin because a lot of things are, but. And then you can a la carte. Yes. Yes, take, take advantage of your it a la carte does, options. It does say force majeure is a Latin phrase that means superior force. So there we yeah. go. Means we couldn't control it. All right, so this week we talked about manganese and what it does for your crop, how to recognize deficiencies, and what you can do to address those deficiencies. Spotlight was this Kinsey's new high-speed planter up to 12 miles an hour, hopefully available for order very soon if you're interested. Ag History Minute, we talked about Henry Blair and his patents back in the 1800s that were very much leading the way in corn planting and cotton planting technologies. Cool beans was Bayer's new short stature corn going to trials. Our that's corny was, again, the herbicide availability is pretty limited, especially when it comes to soybeans this year. So do your best, and as always, happy farming.